Welcome back to the Experience Growth Podcast. I am Chris Suarez, your host, and today we have a special guest for you. In fact, uh, this is someone that I've known for some time, and as I, I had my conversation with him, I had to ask myself the question, why have I not introduced our community to him sooner than today? You're going to meet Patrick Galvin. And the reason why this is an important conversation for all of us is because one of the pillars of living an experiential life is living a life built on relationships. Patrick and his organization, The Galvanizing Group, built a, a company and, and a business and a mission around that very word, relationships. In fact, he has just come out with his second book on the very topic. His first book was The Connector's Way, a book that I've read, I've shared with our organization. We've had him in to speak multiple times. It's a book about building a business one relationship at a time. His second book, which he actually calls a prequel to the first, uh, just came out, and that's entitled The Trusted Way, a story about building a life and business of character. But we don't just talk about stories today. Our conversation actually dives deep into the, the seven tactical steps to build a, a business built on relationship, right? Uh, what are the seven things that each of us need to be doing today for our future, and then we talk about this conversation of trust and how to build a business on trust and a life based on trust. And why do we live in a world that is deficient of trust? He shares with us the, the four-way test that has been the basis of his building, his company, and his strategies. What is the four-way test of testing our thinking and our, and our words and our actions? One of my favorite parts of the conversation is as we dive in why a relationship and trust-based business oftentimes isn't the fastest way to build a business and how delayed gratification versus present bias uh, plays into the foundation of any strong and growing business. So with that, let's jump in and introduce you to Patrick Galvin. All right, Patrick, I appreciate um, you spending some time with me. You and I have gotten to know each other. We happen to live in, in the same city of, of Portland. And through that, we were connected, interestingly enough, through a, a mutual friend and mutual uh, connection. And uh, you've done quite a bit of work with our organization. Today, I wanted to have you on and, and introduce you to our community. I, I was telling you just a few minutes ago that of all the people that we've talked to and interviewed here at the community We've actually never brought someone on who has built a mission, a business, has built their life strictly on one of our pillars of an experiential life, which is relationship. And so I'm excited for everyone to get to know you and, and meet you. And we're going to talk about a couple of your books and, and what you're doing and building in business. But maybe we just maybe just start there. Why is why is relationship? right? As a word, as a thought, and then as a practice, which we're going to get into, but why is that the premise of everything you're doing? Like, where did that begin? Why is that important to you? Well, if I get to the root of it, I am an extrovert. I love connecting with people. I love getting to know people of different backgrounds, different cultures. So in my personal life, ever since I can remember, it's been a huge part of it. But in my schooling, especially when I went to business school, I focused on all this tactical stuff, finance and administration and accounting and all these different things. And those tools that I took with me out into the business world were strong. I went to good schools, but I never studied relationship building. And when I flailed early in my career, it was because I was focused on tactical things, but I wasn't really thinking relationally. So 
now I've written books about relationships. People call me an expert in relationship building. And my roots, though, are not of somebody who was effectively building relationships. I was trying to create success for myself through marketing and advertising. And that just wasn't cutting it for me. So I really started to look at what was happening in the wider world, what I was doing, what my competitors were doing. And I realized that so many people don't focus on relationships. And if you do focus on relationships in the professional sense, you can really stand out from the crowd because so many people are thinking transaction. It's interesting because what that means is you went to school, you started businesses, you were growing those businesses, and you realized that there was some foundation that was missing, which was relationship. And, and, Absolutely. and you said we didn't learn it or you didn't learn how to build it. Do you think that's possible? Do you think that there's a way to learn a, a tactical approach to relationship building? Or is it because you're an extrovert, it's easier for you as opposed to those of us that might be more introverted and, and, and feel like, oof, relationships are a challenge. Absolutely, it can be learned. And I think that introverts have some real advantages versus the extroverts in that there's an intentionality that they have to have. And there's a thoughtfulness that they have that is critical for relationship building, which is they're more apt to listen than to talk. And one of the cornerstones of being a great relationship builder is really focusing in on what is that other person thinking? How can I really be of service to them, either personally or professionally? And I think introverts have a huge advantage over extroverts. I think there are some very strong tactical things that one can learn that I talked about in The Connector's Way, my first book on relationship building, that are not taught in school. And I honestly do not understand why a great business school will not have a course on relationship building because there's good literature out there. There's literature from the positive psychology movement. There's literature from behavioral economics. There's literature like my books that talk about very tactical things. Why is it that this isn't a course or courses, I would argue courses, that should be taught in any school, not just business school, but I think medical school and law school and any sort of professional formation at the undergraduate level as well, because the stuff is out there. It's just not accepted by academia as something that they need to do. It's assumed that you're either good at it or not. And that's bogus. Some people through life experiences or through personality have a flair for it. But anybody, regardless of their level, can become a great relationship builder. Yeah. I think, I think a really big takeaway of what you just said there is oftentimes we take personality and assume that a personality is good at relationship building or developing or even attracting or starting when in reality, I think you just flipped that on its head and said, actually the personality could make us less likely to be good at, right? The extrovert jumps in, has the conversation, leads the conversation, like is, is driving the conversation and the introvert use the word, it has intentionality around, well, if I'm here to build a relationship, I'm going to be intentional about it. And this is how I'm going to do it. So that gives a lot of hope for, for hope and work to two different personality types in relationship building. Absolutely. And, and there are some great books that are written for introverts on relationship building. The Introvert's Edge is a book uh, that came out last year. It's a great book. Uh, Quiet uh, by Susan Cain. She gave a TED Talk. Anyone who says, oh, you're an extrovert. That's why you write this stuff. That's why you're good at it. Honestly, it's a cop out because there's so much there for introverts and you can't make yourself into an extrovert, but you can leverage the incredible uh, human resources that you have within you to take advantage of that skill set. 
Yeah. You mentioned that you believe that one, we should have courses and, and those should be written. I know you, you actually coach and train and teach you, you do in person as well as group. We'll maybe come back to that sure. in your book, the first book, the connector's way. One of, one of the things, obviously a great story of a, a valuable parable, but one of my, one of my tactical takeaways from the book, cause I'm that guy, like I, I want to say, okay, like how do we unpackage this towards, if I remember correctly, it was towards the end of, of that parable, you shared seven rules for building business relationships. And maybe I can just ask you about a couple of them. I, I know these because after we read them and actually gave that book to everybody in our organization and had you in to speak about them, we, we began training our, in, in our world, real estate agents, but our business owners, these seven rules, these seven skills, the, the first being nurture body and mind Yes. to create positive energy and enthusiasm that attracts so that the relationship can be built. How important is that? Why is that? Oh man. One? Yeah, that, that is huge. So basically another way of saying it is you've got to be in good relationship with yourself in order to build relationships with others. If you're not of a positive mind, and that could be because you're feeding thoughts in your mind that are taking you down, or you're not getting out there and getting your blood pumping and being in a good sort of physical state, it, I, I don't know anyone who has fallen down on, on those two levels who's out there building quality relationships. So it's sort of like get your house in order before you try to build houses in a relationship, you could say it's like a house. So you better have a solid foundation for yourself, for your own home. So you could go out there and, and connect and be building relationships with others. So it's very, very important. It's, it's the reason why it's number one, because it's really the starting point. Yeah. Uh, rule number two is look for people or seek out individuals that expose you to new things. Why is the new part of that important in, in relationship building? Well, you know, one of the things is people tend to hang with folks that they feel uh, comfortable with. And if you're with people you're comfortable with, it's nice from a social standpoint. It's very relaxing. But are you going to really grow as a human being if you're talking to birds of a feather all the time? And there's so much knowledge out there in the world. We have a very limited amount of time on this earth. And if we don't expose ourselves to other people, cultures, races, professions, we tend to get tunnel vision. And there are so many good practices that might be going on, let's say, in another field, totally unrelated to real estate. And if a realtor is spending all their time with other folks in the profession, they're just looking at, like looking at the elephant saying, an elephant is all about the ear, because that's what everyone in this industry thinks it is. But you go to another one, it's like, no, it's about the trunk. So sometimes it's just a change of perspective that opens your mind to sort of new possibilities and new ways to uh, do business and best practices that you can incorporate in. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I was just listening to Dr. Marissa King and her new book on, on just the social connection of human beings and how the pandemic uh, has changed that or, or affected it. And she calls that when we stay in that comfort zone of our relationships, the ones we've always had, so clearly we're not bringing or finding new ones, it, we, we tend to seek consensus that mm -hmm. all the people around us are like us. We like the same things. We believe the same things. We say the same things. And it's that comfort zone or that safety net that you mm -hmm. talked about some years back when you first wrote your book. Yeah. I love that. Number three is ask people how you can be of service to them. And why is that important? Well, you're going to notice if you go to number four, that they sound somewhat similar, but number three is really critical in that, you know, we can think we know what people need. We can make assumptions. A lot of us are taught to live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
but we really need to think more like the platinum rule, which a guy named Tony Alessandro came up with, which is do unto others as they would like to have done unto them. So it's really, you're not going to know that until you ask. You may think somebody needs something that's very specific, maybe to a transaction, uh, a real estate transaction. But what they might really need is some resources for uh, homeschooling or some ideas for you know how they can improve a part of their home. But you're not going to know that unless you engage in dialogue and you ask, I, I, it sounds like you need this, but maybe I'm just off base. Maybe there's something else that you need. And then stop. <laughs> Pause is very important. Truly listen to what that person articulates as a need and follow through. And I think a lot of people are coached to ask, and then they don't pay attention or they don't follow through. The worst thing to do is ask if there's no intention of really following through. But how many people have done that for you? And when they do, I bet you remember them. And I bet you want to go back to them. And I bet you're going to refer business to them. Yeah, I agree with that. You mentioned how four is so closely connected. And, and that's basically, you've done three. Now, now serve them, serve yes. others without consideration of, of how you will personally benefit, which is difficult in business, especially if we come to the table and say, well, I'm going to have a business, like I'm looking for business relationships. Oftentimes, this is potentially the most difficult. Why is it so difficult to serve others? You've asked what they need, serve others without looking for or beginning to think about how it will benefit us. Because I, I think a lot of people are victims of short-term thinking. You set your sales goal for the quarter. Okay, I've got to hit this number. Mm. I've got to have so many homes sold. I've got to sell this volume in this year. And you get blinded by your own data. So I think people get obsessed about their own needs. And the reality is all the great realtors I know and all the great professionals I know have referral-fueled businesses. And when I start talking with them, more often than not, they're really great servant leaders. And they are constantly engaged in figuring out ways to creatively help the network that they're working with. So I, I say ask. Some people won't tell you. Uh, it's hard to ask everybody because there's time limitations. But if I were to say, what is the most important of the seven rules from the connector's way? It's this one. It's wow. of being of service first. Because if you're of service first, good things are going to happen to you. Uh, my friend Bob Berg, who wrote The Go-Giver, said people want to refer business to and do business with those who they know, like, and trust. And the way people get to know, like, and trust you is through your service. It's through nothing else. It's not through whether you hit your quarterly number. They don't care. They don't care if your business is growing 50%. It means nothing to them. How have you helped them? That's what really counts. Yeah, I think for our community, one of the things you said that is wildly important is oftentimes we mess up number four because we're too focused. We're goal-driven people, right? We, like entrepreneurs typically are. They're entrepreneurs because they have goals and, and, and they're driven. And so if we don't detach for a moment and, and get unstuck on our present bias, when you talk about even pop psychology right now, so much is about how our present bias drives our decision and behavior. Mm -hmm. and actually have to think long-term, get, get away from the immediate gratification or the immediate response, or what is this going to do today or tomorrow and think long-term. That'll solve a lot of our problems with number four in removing the benefit from us and truly focusing on the service and the help that we just asked them if we could do for them. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Exceed expectations. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. 
Yeah, it, it, it should be. And it should be that everyone is doing this. But what I find, I think this is why I, I say go out and expand your networks and get out of your profession. So I think realtors are guilty of signing up for the same training programs. And I get some marketing materials, probably from about five different realtors that are all identical. So they're non-differentiated to me. So think about what your competitors are doing and say, oh, I could do that, but it will really stand out. And then go back to the service mindset, the conversations you've had, the asking of how you can help people out, the creative ways that you serve. And then really, I would say double or triple down on that, on those things that there's a real need. And don't worry if someone isn't, some of your competitors aren't doing it. In fact, it's better. How can you differentiate yourself? How can you exceed expectations in a way that would say, oh, that you're just different. Like there's one realtor I, I know who calls everybody on his birthday or her birthday. And he says, I'm Portland singing realtor. Like I know a lot of realtors. He's the only guy who calls me consistently on my birthday. I mean, you could say it's gimmicky, but that's his biggest business driver. So he's exceeding my expectations because no one else in the industry does it. I always get a phone call on my birthday. He sings me a song. He's got a terrible voice. So he never has to finish it. I cut him off, but it's a great example of exceeding expectations. Yeah. I, I wrote down, as you said, that was this expected? So if I'm doing something and I realize that, well, that was expected, like yeah. they're going to expect that, yeah. then that I'm not actually executing number five. And as I say, well, that's self-explanatory. You're right. It probably <laughs> isn't because so much of what we do is just expected. Exactly. It's the industry norm, so to speak. Yep. Love it. Number six is where sometimes we want to rush to because number six is let people know how they can help you succeed. How do we do that in a congruent and a, in a healthy way, in a way that seems sincere and is sincere? I think a lot of people don't understand the power of being of service first. So all of the first five rules of the connectors way really set you up to be of the service mindset. And what happens when you do that consistently you start developing social capital with people. It's like a little bank account. All these good things you're doing kind of are deposited in there. And humans are wired. And I'm not coming up with this out of uh, whole cloth. There's a guy named Robert Cialdini who wrote an, a book called Influence. And he's a social psychologist in Arizona. And there's been a lot of research on this. When you create social capital with people, they want to help you back. That's how, why we are human beings. It makes us different from chimpanzees. I mean, we are social creatures. So you've created social goodwill and you relieve people when you're very specific about how they might help you out. So after a transaction, hey, would you mind going on Zillow or going on Google and putting in a review for me? Of course, they're going to want to do that. You've done a great job on that deal. They're going to want to do that. And when I see realtors who have very few reviews, I'm wondering like, are they developing social capital and then just not leveraging it? Are they not developing social capital so they don't ask? But give people the opportunity to refer you. And I think so often uh, people think that they're imposing. But look, if you're of a service first mindset and you ask somebody for a referral, you're doing them a favor. They can relieve the, the guilt they have for not having done anything for you. And then also they know you're going to make them look really good when their friend works with you on a transaction because you're going to take care of them just like you took care of this person who you built all that goodwill with. And I think so many folks drop the ball and thinking, oh, it just sounds kind of pushy. Well, if it's pushy, it means you haven't done a good job of being of service first because it shouldn't be pushy. It should just be a natural flow, a natural part of the process. Yeah, I love that. I think when I came across number six, what I needed to internalize was the fact that human beings 
love to help human beings. Absolutely. Good human beings. Good human beings love to help other good human beings. And, and we're allowing them to do that once we've served. If And like you just said, you're making it easier for them. You're making it easier for them to, to deliver that if, if you share with them how they can help you succeed. I've got hundreds of people I'm connected with who, if they sent me an email today, said, hey, Patrick, would you mind making this introduction to this specific person? Could you put on a LinkedIn recommendation for me? In a heartbeat. Mm. They don't ask. It's not that I don't want to do it. And I would be relieved. It's like, oh, man, I should have done that myself. I feel bad. I have never done that. And it actually takes a load off my shoulders when someone asks me for something. And honestly, Chris, I don't know about you. It doesn't happen nearly enough. I don't get enough ass. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Number seven, once you've gone through step one and two and three and four and five and six, number seven, as important as any, be grateful. Be grateful. Why does this cement this process, this tactical way to build relationships? No, it's, it is absolutely critical. So just, I think everyone who's listening to this can think about a time that they purchased an expensive product or service and they felt immediately that person who served them kind of moved on to the next thing and really feeling that heartfelt thank you, that heartfelt gratitude. Same thing for a referral. You refer business to somebody and then you hear from the person who, who you made that referral to that, oh yeah, that person talked to me. Well, shame on the person who got the referral. So I think every professional needs to come up with a methodology of gratitude. And I have discovered during the pandemic, and this is a best practice that's going to continue quite a bit for me, is I'm using video messaging a lot more. Like I will send someone a short little video and I'll embed it in the text because people don't open their emails saying, hey, thank you so much for just doing business with me. I was thinking about just all the great things that have happened from working with you, the things I've learned from you. We've gotten a, a new customer that you probably don't, don't even know about that had heard about what you were doing and found me. And just, you could send a one minute video that has a hundred percent watch rate to somebody who you're grateful for and they really appreciate it. So it's very time effective. And I was doing it because of social distancing, but you can bet I'm going to be continuing on that path because it works so well. And it stands out how many personal videos. I think a video to one person carries a lot more weight sometimes than a video on YouTube. It can carry a ton of weight in terms of solidifying relationships. So just gratitude, thankfulness. Yeah, I think a key word that you used was methodology. We need to build in the method by which we share or show our gratitude. And it's yes. interesting, um, you mentioned that you're, you've really dove into that and built that um, into a methodology during pandemic. But pre-pandemic, the first time you and I ever met, you may or may not remember, or maybe you do because it was part of your method back then as well, but you sent me a video message immediately after. It was like that afternoon. And again, I clicked on it and watched it and it was just a method. It was just a message of gratitude of the connection and that we spent time together. And, and interestingly enough, right, years later, I still remember that. Yeah. If everybody did it, I probably wouldn't remember it perhaps, but not enough people do. It is your method. So whatever yeah. our method is, we must have one for gratitude. Agreed. And be consistent with it. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing, Chris, about the gratitude piece is you're going to feel a lot better at the end of the day. I mean, all these things that we're talking about, being of service to others, you know, having a methodology of gratitude, it's not only going to be good for one's business, but it's just, you're going to just feel better as a person. <laughs> so that's like the huge upside from all of this.
Yeah, I'll share just uh, just a couple of days ago. It's a client that I've worked with many times. We've worked together a lot and we've become actually fairly close and they're, they don't live in, in town anymore. And, and, and I, I had sold a house for them and sent a message afterwards, just being thankful and grateful that I got to work with them and hadn't heard back from them. And, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. They, they are very busy. Sure. A couple of days later, I got a voice uh, message from him. He was outside. It was the morning and, and he just stopped and said, Hey, I've been so head down on this project I've been working on. I didn't take the time to just say thank you and how grateful I am that you got that job done. It wasn't an easier one. You got it done. And I'll tell you, like I, my morning was awesome after receiving that. It wasn't even that I expected it. I actually didn't think to myself, oh, he didn't say thank you. Like I, like my head was down too. So it was unexpected. Yeah. And his gratitude made me feel so good. I, I truly felt more connected to him as a human being just because he sent that message. So again, although it's me tactically executing these seven steps, when other people do, you see the effect on, on, on our ourselves emotionally or even physically. It's Yeah, exactly. That's a great story. And I think when people wonder about these, I just say flip the tables and imagine that you're on the receiving end of each one of these. What would they do? And I think your story is a great example of that. One of the things you said just a few moments ago, and actually was a quote from the Go-Giver, is you said, gosh, uh, people want to work with people that they know, they like, and they trust. Yes. The word trust is, is this massive word. In fact, like you, you wrote a second book. <laughs> right. It just came out this month, this and past although, month. Yeah. It, although it was a second book, you shared with me that mm, it actually is the first book. Walk us through that. Why is trust? If the first book written was about connection and the second book written was about trust, why do you believe that trust? It is the prequel in terms of being successful with all the tactical stuff in the Connectors Way. So the Connectors Way started out as a nonfiction handbook on building strong business relationships. So if you were to read the Connectors Way and just pull out points, there's a lot of very tactical things that you can do based on that book. However, those things will be of limited effect unless you have that foundation of trust. So Bob Berg talks about People will do business with and refer business to those who they know, like, and trust. And trust is really the foundational piece of having all of those other things that you're doing to build relationship ring true. It makes, if if you don't have trust, everything else just seems like, this is just some tactical thing that this guy or gal learned to curry my favor. But if you really develop trust, all of those things are going to be taken from that point of, wow, this is a real human being trying to connect and build relationship with me. And trust is not something that we talk about nearly enough. Once again, it was a deficiency. I had a business ethics course. Uh, We were talking about very tactical things in terms of business ethics, but foundational ethics, like, is this, are we doing the right thing? That's not addressed in business school. And I think it's why a lot of MBAs get into problems when they enter corporate America and they do some things that they shouldn't do. Uh, because we don't really discuss this enough as a society. We live in a trust deficient world where people don't really believe that people have good intentions at heart when they are in relationship with them. So things tend to fall flat. So I wanted to cherry pick something that has changed my life, which is the four-way test, which most Rotarians should know by heart. And it's a very simple 24 word prism that you can run things through before you say something or do something you can check it off against these four little items and you will not make a mistake. 
You will not make a mistake. You won't do anything to violate trust. In fact, you're going to be building trust if you follow those principles. And it's an ethical code. Unless you're in Rotary, you've never seen it before. And they certainly don't even have anything equivalent to that, that they talk about it in, in universities and colleges. Yeah, I actually want to get to that four-way test so that our community hears it, listens to it, and actually can begin to a, a, apply it to, to build trust. But let me ask you a question. You talked about how it's there's a deficiency in, in even business school of, of talking about trust and teaching trust. And perhaps that's why there's such a lack of it once we get out of school. Why do you think that deficiency exists? Is it a difficult concept? Is it not black and white? Like, why do we, why do we avoid that conversation? I kind of will pin the blame on what I talked about in terms of why people aren't relationship-based instead of transaction-based. I think so many people are so focused on their goals and we're in a very uh, goal-driven society. And the United States is very much, and it's great. I mean, you want to have business goals. I think it's what you were talking about earlier, Chris, it's short-term versus long-term. And I think some people think that, you know, nice guys finish last. The only way to, to really progress is you go for the jugular, it's drive, drive, drive. It's all about the, the person trying to grow his or her business. But I think the same way we don't value relationships enough, that mindset also causes us to think that, yeah, you can take shortcuts, everyone does. And you, you certainly can see examples of people who've built successful businesses in your industry who you wouldn't trust. And you don't have a lot of feelings of trust towards that individual. And you see, oh, well, if they did it, then it must mean you can't really follow through on this trust thing a whole hog. So I, I just think that people, sadly, sometimes glean bad examples from people in their industries who they see who are actually making money. But I would say, okay, is that sustainable? Are they always going to be making money? And also, how do they sleep at night? Honestly, is it worth if you can cut corners and be successful, is it worth it? Yeah. I think this message is an important one. It's why I asked the question. It's actually why you're here, because I think that there's a cultural shift as well that needs to take place. The hustle culture is actually oftentimes in complete friction with this idea of, of trust, because you're right, it is, what's my goal? How do I get there the fastest mm -hmm. and the quickest? And how do I attain that at a younger age? Like we, we actually idolize people that hit metrics at 20 and 21 and 23 and 24. And, and then actually, whether we realize it or not, it's creating a culture in and of itself. One of my favorite lines in your book, The Trusted Way, as you tell the story of Brad Parsons was you said that Brad wanted to create the greatest amount of personal wealth in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. Right? Sounds and, familiar. Huh? A lot of people are like that. And I thought, well, gosh, like that's the majority of podcasts. Like how, how do I get that quickly? Like yeah. how do I fast track? The word fast track shows up and again, it lives. I think it's why trust is so hard to establish. Like what is the, what is your, how do you think about the relationship between trust and time? So trust is not a shortcut. I mean, people need to get to know you over time. So I'm in an organization, Rotary, that I joined for community service reasons. I did not join for business development reasons. I was the beneficiary in college of a scholarship that this organization created. So mm -hmm. I decided I wanted to provide community service. I, I was going to join this group. Been in this group now for almost nine years. And I'm on committees. We do various things in the community to improve life in the city of Portland and beyond. We're a global organization. And as I've gotten to know people and as they've gotten to know me, we develop bonds of trust. You work side by side, you share values. And what's happened? 
An organization I did not join for business development is one of my best business development sources. I wouldn't be talking to you today, Chris, if it were not for a referral from a rotary person to speak before an audience of mortgage people and then mortgage went into real estate. So if you always track back your business, which everyone should to the alpha point, for me, a lot of it tracks back to this organization that I joined not for business, but to serve. And in that act of service, I've developed bonds of trust that has lifted me up. And my story is a dime a dozen. If you talk to people in Rotary and you ask, well, has it been good for your business? People are going to say, it sure wasn't in the first few years. I didn't do it for that. And those who come into it looking to build business fall out of the organization because everyone thinks they're a hustler. And I'm not saying it's just Rotary. It's anything. If you go out there and you really build bonds of trust, it is more sustainable over the long haul. And no, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. And in the process, you're meeting a lot of people who are going to make you a, just a better human being outside of business. So I think it's a win-win for an individual to embrace. Yeah. What's interesting is if, if you go into any one of those organizations for that purpose, you're right. Everybody around you knows you're there for that purpose. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But interestingly enough, whether they kick you out or not, you will leave because yeah. you came for the wrong purpose. You came for immediate res results. You came and it won't work. <laughs> not going to happen. And then, and then you try to find a next group yeah. and the next group is there. And it's because you didn't realize that. I, I like that expression. Go find the alpha point. And the alpha point of any win, of any success, is I believe built initially on trust that led to connections. And then yes. the connections led to some result in the future. Sometimes six months, one year, three years, seven years, 10 years, like it is. And that has to be irrelevant. The, the relevant part is the alpha point of trust. Yes, yes. And that's why I say conceptually, the trusted way is the prequel to the mm -hmm. connector's way. Because think about how you were developing trust and how you might do it better. And then once you have that solid, then think about all the tactical things that might work to really establish those tighter bonds. Yeah, I love that. With our remaining time, Patrick, and I'm incredibly grateful that you're spending so much time with us. Can you walk us through the four-way test? It was born for you in Rotary or through Rotary. What is that four-way test and, and why does Rotary use it maybe? So it started in 1932. A guy inherited a company that was going bankrupt during the depression. And he was in an industry that was trust deficient and he didn't have money for advertising or marketing. And he said, okay, well, the way I'm going to exceed expectations, going back to the connector's way, is we are going to be a character-based utensils company. So they made knives and forks and spoons, and they were cutting a lot of corners in terms of trust. They were undercutting their dealers by selling direct to some people who were low-priced competitors. They were doing all this stuff that wasn't really good. And he said, this isn't going to work. So he said, I want to build a very easy to think about, easy tests that all of my employees can use before they think, say, or do something. And one night he's in his office, puts his head, his, his, uh, head in his hands, and he's thinking, okay, what is it? And it came to him in this eureka moment in 1932. And the first principle of the four-way test, is it the truth? Is it the truth? So this is 24 words. Second principle, is it fair to all concerned? The third principle is, will it build goodwill and better friendships. Hmm. And the fourth principle is, will it be beneficial to all concerned? 24 words. Now, when you're going to do a deal, when you're going to say something to a customer or a prospect, if you run that thought, and many of my Rotarian friends, including myself, will just mentally would do that mental check. And 
I've stopped myself from doing certain things when I couldn't check all those boxes. Yeah. It's very helpful to go through and have something like this. It's not religious. He was very concerned. He was a Christian guy, but he had people of all religious faiths working with him. So he wanted to come up with something that, you know, it's a value system, but it doesn't presuppose any sort of belief in any one system. But some people will say, well, it's too simplistic. And then I'll ask them, well, what do you use? And they don't have anything. So if you don't have anything, then how do you possibly make sure that you're consistently doing things to create trust with nothing? I couldn't do it. So I think this is a very, very useful tool to use when you're making those tough decisions. Yeah, it's as you go back, there are three parts to that you said. It is evaluating the impact of our thoughts, our words, and our and, deeds, like, and what yeah. we do. So yes, it's the, three things that you can run through. Is this thought the truth? Is this thought fair to all concerned? Is this thought building goodwill and better friendships? Is this thought beneficial to all concerned? Even before it becomes the word, filter through your words and then filter through your deeds. Is that how you think about it? Exactly, exactly. It's, it's sort of like this great filter that you have. And if you want to be a person of trust, and if you disagree with one of the principles and you can come up with something better that works for your kind of way of being in the world, then great, then use that. But I would say just like having a methodology of gratitude, you should have a methodology to make sure that you're a person of trust. Yeah, I love that. Maybe in conclusion, as, as you think about trust leading to the relationship, I think you said there's even a, a, a third book in the works. What's next? What do you do to build on those two? I'm exploring a couple of different concepts. So I'm, I'm thinking that the connector's way, the trusted way, clearly there's a word in there that's common. So it's now the way series. And it's going to be about relationship building. I've got two or three different things. I haven't quite decided. Right now, it's all about getting the trusted way out there. Love it. Love it. What can we do? Uh, to help you, Patrick. Oh, well, thank you, Chris. That's just having a chance to talk about this. And please talk about trust with your business connections. And if you want to have something to talk about, take a look at my book. It might be something uh, of use as you have those conversations. And uh, I'm always looking for people to check out Rotary. And look, it doesn't have to be Rotary. It could be any service organization. Find a way to serve your community and you will be in a better space, both personally, and you're going to be setting yourself up for a lot of professional success. Awesome. Patrick, we appreciate your time. I always liken to just any amount of time as these small segments of our, our life. And so anyone that's willing to spend and able to spend time with me or with our community, you really are. Like you're handing us a little bit of your life and there's no value to that. It's impossible to put a value on, on life. And so I just want you to know that we appreciate that greatly. I believe that your message was one of the most important ones. And as, as I thought about it, as we were getting on, I thought, how I missed the boat in bringing you and introducing you to our community even earlier, because all the pillars of an experiential life start really with that relationship mindset and understanding that relationship isn't just a thing that happens. It, it is strategic. It is tactical. You go through that in, in both of your books now. And I think it's important for each of us to go down that journey and uh, you're probably delivering that message better than anyone I've heard. So I appreciate that greatly. <laughs>